0: One
1: time for the underdog oh. time for the underdog Condition sequence star Let me see you put them up Reach the sky, touch the stars up above, cause it's one time for the underdog one time for the underdog I'm Patrick Bedevi, host of i Tim And today I'm sitting down with the American Sniper Widow, Taya Kala We talked about a lot of different things From PTSD, marriage, life What happens when a husband's away for two years And you don't see your husband How do you make marriages like that work And a lot of stories you haven't heard before And a part of it, a part of this interview Gets very emotional Stay tuned Hey y'all. Thanks for being on Valentine with you for us. you You know, the more and more I go into the stories and the interviews and all the things I look at on what you had to go through, the story, the movie, uh, there are so many amazing scenes. Myself being in the military, there are a lot of different aspects. We watch so many marriages, how it was the difficulty, the challenges of raising kids, all these things that takes place, it's very technical. A lot of times from the civilian side, people don't know all the details, the challenges, the struggles as being a mother, a wife, a supportive wife, trying to make it work two and a half years he's away on a three year time, I mean it's just challenging times and at the same time you want to support so I got a lot of angles I want to go through with it but prior to doing that I think it's best we just start off with we know the movie, we see the stories, we see what it was like when you guys first met at the bar. How close is that to actually how it was when you met him the first time?
2: Is that how it is with you guys, you're like suddenly single after three years? It's pretty spot on. They did a good job really trying to make sure that the facts and details were accurate. Even the guys that did the props wanted to get it right for my kids. And I think that was pretty special. But yeah, I did, I I drank scotch that night on the rocks and uh, it came back up and Chris held my hair back just like Bradley did for Sienna in the movie. And so um, a few of the details are changed just because you have to make it really concise. That's about it.
1: So, was it per question? You had to take a shot. Did that happen? No, or was that, that, Hollywood? that part didn't happen. So that part, and did the guy come up who says, "Hey, how you doing?" Can I and then You said, "Hey, if you were six inches taller, and you didn't put your wedding, you know, band mm-hmm. away, did that also happen or no?"
2: Well, I was, I was disagreeing strongly with one of Chris's friends when he decided to kind of break up the disagreement and say hi to me at the same time. So, the writer Jason Hall, who's fabulous, we talked quite a bit about how do we actually. He said, what were you arguing about? I said, I don't know. And he said, what would piss you off? And I said, a married guy hitting on me. would piss me off. So that's kind of how that started. And so we just, um, we created something that's as authentic as we can to who we are and concise enough to put it in a movie where it makes sense.
1: So I I watch a lot of Chris's interviews and and I asked myself, I said, okay. You know, we'd go out a lot as military, and we'd party a lot, and we'd cause a lot of havoc, because I'm sure he probably did that as well, because he seemed like a party guy, he seemed like a fun guy, he seemed Mm -hmm. like a type of guy that knew how to get the guys to like him, and he probably had a lot of friends around him, but his flirting style seemed different than some guys. Was it just the fact that he was just so real, genuine, just himself, like almost the kind of guy that just, here's who I am, I think you're pretty? and still seemed a little witty, was that his approach?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you're very perceptive because a lot of people don't pick up on the fact that he had such a good sense of humor because our story has been portrayed with the drama being sort of the focus point. And he was extremely funny in exactly how you described. And yeah, you know, it's interesting, he really wasn't a flirt, which is interesting. And I used to tell him, you should write a book on how men can charm women, because he legitimately, authentically had this very romantic side and came up with some of the best things he would say. I mean, I remember before we were engaged and he said, you know, if I could sit with God and he asked me to create the perfect woman, I couldn't have even created you because I wouldn't have dreamed you up. Get him. Right? Taya so, player. But, he's the the. But he was he, so, he was so serious. And I mean, we were sitting in front of a bonfire and I was sitting on his lap and he had his arms around me and I was like, oh my God. And, but it's the way he said it, right? Yeah. That I was like, it was like, he went to a depth of his being to say that and he was vulnerable and he wasn't vulnerable a lot. So I think when he would do that kind of thing with you, you were like, oh my gosh, like he really means it. And that's what I picked up on the first night in the bar. When I, Found out he had just graduated, buds, and he told me a few other things he did instead that were very funny. And and when I finally got him to admit it, you know, I, I had an opinion of Navy SEALs, and I told him, you know, egocentric, you know, glory-seeking, all of these things. And he looked at me as if, you know, I told him the sky was green, and he said, I would die for my country. How he is really that? said
1: that. It's, yeah. Was that on first time you met him? Yeah. Or was first
2: it? time I met him, and I was like, whoa, this guy. And and he genuinely was asking, how how could that possibly be? Like it was confusing to him it wasn't confrontational and it wasn't um defensive it was just how how it's got the chills out of my body because bradley
1: depicted that's so good unbelievable why would you say i'm self-centered
0: i lay down my life for my country why because it's the greatest country on earth i do everything i can to protect it
2: yeah he really got the humility of chris and the kindness of chris and i i felt like that was a big part of who Chris was and Bradley did an accent which people told him not to do right because that's kind of a risk as an actor you can really throw the movie if you don't do it well but he killed it so yeah it's good.
1: And the whole humility side you're talking about with Chris is I watched him on Conan O'Brien when uh, he was being interviewed and I think Conan said so what's the difference between SEAL Team 3 and 6 this is well you know 3 is this and if you want to get into 6 you kind of have to do another uh, boot camp to get into 6 he says you know did you ever want to be in 6 and he says not while I was in, but once I got it, I wish I would have, right? right? Most people are not going to say that. Right. You know, it's not an answer you give. You would right. probably say, no, I was very proud to serve with the team that I had, but, you know, I'm very respectful of SEAL Team 3. That's yeah. like the politically correct right. answer to give. But he was just flat out saying, I wish I would have done it. Yeah. You know, and it, it, that just kind of gave the uh, side of, you know, the shucks. You know, I wish, you know, it was a very humble, this is who I am. I should have probably done it. I kind of made me it made me want to like him even more.
2: Yeah, and you know what, people would meet him all the time and say, I hear this so often, I met him and I spent a little bit of time with him and I felt like we were gonna be best friends. He had that way about him because his guard was down and he was, he just, like you said, he was who he was, but if he was talking to you, he looked you in the eye. And if somebody was trying to get his attention or he didn't break eye contact and he didn't break the conversation with who he was talking to, he if a kid was talking to him, it could be 30 minutes and he gave him his full attention until the kid would be done. And there could be a line waiting. There could be people tugging on him. It doesn't matter. If he's talking to you, he's talking to you. And I think that was a big part of his appeal. He also was very lighthearted about things and himself, which I think is, is good. You know, you see him on TV and he didn't, you know, Bill O'Reilly, he wore a baseball hat, right? This I is me. That, yeah. And I love that unapologetic part of him. That was just, this is me. You, you're going to take me or leave me. And I'm okay with either. Even when I first met him, I mean, I remember there was a time I was on the phone with him and I let him call me for a long time, you know, and then one day my, I found out my aunt had died. And so I called him and a couple things impressed me on that call. One was he said, how do you feel about it? Right, which is interesting. Most people assume they already know how you feel about it, you know? Um, and then the next day was the part that impressed me from that phone call. He said, when you called and we got off the phone, he said, I ran into the other room with all the guys, woke them up and started jumping on their beds and saying, Taya called, Taya called. And I was like, seriously? We're in our 20s. Wow. And he's like, he I, I was so excited. This. Yes. And I, I started laughing and he said, they said you would never call and I wouldn't get it. He's like, I did though. Didn't I? You know, and he's like, I woke them up to tell them,' and I thought that's so unabashed, right? But yeah, it's I can the truth. see
1: guys like that. Yeah. Guys like that were guys you like to hang out with. Yeah. They were just real you wanted those type of guys yeah. around you. How were his parents, by the way? Was it a discipline type of an environment, a faith environment? Was it a church going environment? What kind of environment did, all it, of did that. he grow? Really? Yeah, all of okay. that.
2: They were great parents. You know, they did go to church a couple times a week and they Chris knew the Bible really, really well. And, you know, they were believers in discipline, but it was controlled, right? So um, you know never hitting their kids in anger or anything like that so but if you needed a spanking you got a spanking but it was like everybody was gonna be calm and you know I mean I think it was very um, principled principled, got and it. well thought out yeah and how about yourself your parents yeah my parents were phenomenal I mean my mom was raised in Southern California my dad in Oregon so maybe a little softer on on both of those states but um, they definitely wanted me to be polite and intelligent and Take my academics seriously, and you know we had a lot of fun. We'd do food fights in the kitchen, for example. That was nothing, you know, out of the ordinary. So we had a lot of fun. Food um, fights in the kitchen. Yeah, why not? Right. That is yeah, great. Just fun. Um, so they're very playful, and I think Chris and I had that in common. We were both just really playful, and we connected on that level. Um, but I they weren't. They didn't probably expect as much of me in the ways that I expected my kids with chores and stuff like that. They were pretty easy on me with that.
1: Now you said you would never date a SEAL, and then he walked away, and he came back, and you said, I-, I changed my mind, I would never marry, it's because your sister had dated a SEAL. Is that part true, that your sister did date a SEAL?
2: No, she um, married a guy who was in BUDS.
1: Oh, she married a guy who was in BUDS? Yeah. Got it. So when you said that, so he walked away, comes back. Did that part also happen? Well, he
2: didn't walk away when I said I'd never, um, I, he said, well, I guess I'd better let you go. But by that time I was already attracted, you know, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you said you'd never date a seal. And I said, no, I said, no, I'd never marry one. And then he was like, oh, in that case, let me get your number, right? Let How long that after
1: that did you know you're gonna marry this guy?
2: It was, I mean, we were engaged within six months Okay, and, got it. So yeah, did, okay, good. It was good. pretty quick.
1: And then after that, how long? How much later you guys got married?
2: Six months later. So it was what, almost a year to the day after we met. Wow. Him.
1: So when you got married, was he already living the lifestyle of military, you know, deployment? Is he already doing all of that or not yet?
2: No, he had just graduated BUDS when I met him. In fact, the week that he was there, it was sort of their, um, they were drinking every night and celebrating and that kind of thing. So.
1: Okay, got it. So, you hadn't yet experienced. He's going to be gone six months, three months. Did you process that yourself prior to getting married to him, or no?
2: I mean, I thought about it. but I think this is this is why I'm so passionate. We have the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation where we serve marriages, and one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it is a lot of these people. We're not getting into the life because it's you know it's not glamorous. It's not going to be easy. No. You're not going to have a lot of yeah. money, right? But you love somebody enough to try. And there was something so unique about Chris that it was just irresistible. I mean, I I really was genuinely happy and laughing more than I had laughed with anyone and I loved his youthful nature and his vulnerability, the things that we talked about and so it was just sort of one of those things where I can't not marry him I'd be an idiot you know and I remember asking my dad after uh, he met Chris and we were engaged and I said you know do you have any reservations and he said about Chris absolutely not and he said but I my only concern Taya is that he's probably going to war and war changes people and I said, well, Your you don't know. said that? Yeah. And my dad was a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps when he retired. He was in reserves most of the time. And I, I said, um, yeah, but you don't know Chris. Nothing changes him, Wow. right? He's just who he is. And that is true. But Chris and I had kind of a laugh about that before he was killed, maybe a month or two before. And I said, you know, my dad said that. And he goes, really? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I guess he knew what he was talking about, huh? And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. so right? It does change that. people. You never
1: told him that till a month before he got married. You never brought it up.
2: After, oh, I didn't bring it up to Chris probably until, um, until maybe a month or two before he died.
1: So you get married, and in March of 2002, after that, how how much longer until he got deployed the first time?
2: I mean, he went right into a workup, and then he was the second team out. They were there when the war kicked off, so it was pretty pretty soon after. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't have kids, so I think it was within the year.
1: So eleven years of being married. How much? How long was he deployed?
2: How long was he gone? Oh my gosh! I mean, if we could do the math on it, it was so much. Really? Yeah, because you know, there's stuff that's on the books, stuff that's not on the books, right? And there's trainings and workups and things. Um, even when they were, you know, quote unquote home, their training wasn't in San Diego a lot of times. Some of it, of course, was, but some of it was, you know, in different different schools and different places. So
1: more than half the time. Oh, for sure. More than
0: half the yeah, time. Yeah, for okay. sure. You're not just going out there maybe sacrificing your own life. There's also sacrifices still going on at home. You can serve in the military and have a good marriage, but you just need to be aware of it so you can take those steps to take care of it.
1: He even said on an interview with a pastor, he was speaking at a church, and the mm-hmm. pastor talked about marriage and the struggles of marriage. I think you guys at one point uh, were going through a possible bankruptcy financially. I don't know what it was when he was talking about And he said, Navy SEAL, 95% of marriages don't work. That's the number that Chris said. What was different about your marriage for you guys to be able to last as long as you guys did?
2: Right, and that's a good point, by the way. We actually were conned out of a bunch of money um, that was an investment, uh, but it was a Ponzi scheme. That was the time when people were really, that was happening. And then the real estate market crashed in 2008 too. And so, and we were moving because he got out of the military. So it was like the perfect storm. Unfortunately, we didn't have to file, but um, We were at that point talking to a bankruptcy lawyer, just not knowing what to do. Um, As you know, the banks weren't working with people. I'm very, I'm very like, I will set that aside. That was such a horrible time. Oh, I remember, believe me. I remember modification.
1: They were going through the whole thing. They wanted all the payments. They wouldn't
2: work with you. Even when you could get back on track, they wouldn't. So anyway, um, but your question was about our marriage. How how
1: did you, because we're talking about, you're married. Like one of the questions I asked my wife when we got married, uh, uh, on our our first date, we went to PF Chang's, on our second date, I bought her a book called 101 Questions to Ask Before You Get Engaged, second date. And I said, I need you to read this. I already know my answers. I'm kind of clear on what I want. I don't want this thing to just be physical. We've known each other for five and a half years. You've dated other guys. I've dated other girls. We kind of know each other, but I want you to read this. And then one of the questions was, how long can you be away from me and be okay with it? And we actually talked about the days.
2: That's awesome, you're very strategic and well thought out, that's oh, cool. Oh,
1: marriages. my parents got a divorce, so for me it was kind of like, listen, I'm gonna do, emotionally, you see somebody like, oh my gosh, yeah. we click, I like yeah. her so much, she's so attractive, there's a connection there. But then logically, everything comes afterwards and we sometimes don't do the logical side. So, when you were getting ready to get married to him, did you know, like, were you mentally prepared to say, he's gonna be gone next ten years half the time, and I'm okay with that?
2: Yeah, I did, because you know the thing is, I'm a pretty got independent it? person, and i i figured i would handle it here's the deal it's funny because one of the sayings and you've probably heard it being in the military too you knew what you were getting into when you got married that is such crap nobody knows and if you talk to people who That's aren't so in the military and they've been married 50 years they didn't know what they were getting no into either. About it. because life is a mystery yeah. it's an unfolding of things that you that you were surprised by i think for for almost everyone so to answer your question how did we make the five percent yeah. that make it i believe a blessing I believe that it was maybe divinely orchestrated, but we had people at certain times who gave us the advice, and and like you, I was devoted. This is the guy I'm gonna be with forever, and I don't wanna just coexist with somebody. I want it to be happy. And we had so many good times and laughs that I think once you have that, you're always craving getting that back. You don't wanna lose that. So um, I think that commitment was there, and I also, my faith was really important. I felt like I promised God in addition to Chris, and to me, the promise to God meant a lot. I did not wanna screw that up. So um even when
1: he was gone you'd go to church every Sunday you're staying no, disciplined in that area or? No
2: it's funny I you know I've never had to go to church all the time I've just had this strong connection to my faith and to God even since I was a kid and it doesn't always revolve around church I do like to go to church and I do like to find a go to but I've gone years at a time without going to Really? Lynn. Yeah and I didn't know how well Chris knew the Bible either I've never known it as well as he did so um, You've
1: never known it as good as he did. Never. Unreal.
2: And he knew it backward and forward, and I still am learning. You yeah. Didn't,
1: you didn't get, like, a, listen, you have your friends say we're going to go double date Friday night, Saturday night. What are we going to do? What are you going to do? How did you keep yourself mentally sane? Because when I say this, I'm coming from a place of a lot of experience knowing what it was like in military, being at the Hunter First. Every time a group of guys got deployed, yeah. every time they got deployed, you go to the nightclub, you're like, okay, this nightclub is packed because uh, 2,000 uh, men got mm-hmm. deployed how did you how did you mentally keep yourself sane during that time
2: okay so these are great questions and there's a few things and we do these at Chris gow frog foundation date night out right the time when you want a date the least is the time you need it the most i had somebody tell me about that and i was like you know that's so true time when you're arguing with your spouse and you're thinking i don't want to spend extra time with you because we're mad and we got to figure this out first and the advice was no you need to go on a date right somebody needs to humble themselves and say let's find a way to make this happen. And that's hard in military life and and first responder life, to make the time, to have the money, to get somebody to watch the kids, whatever. But we did that, and that always helped because the first little bit that you're out together, you're having a blast and you're like, "I, I love you, I like you, what are we doing, right? Um, we had, we do revitalization retreats, it's a weekend away because one of my favorite memories with Chris was when my mom gifted me a weekend to go see him when a training didn't go well, right? So they were, he's like, I'm so bummed we're gonna stay in this hotel all weekend. I happen to be with my kids visiting my mom and so she paid for the ticket and and the plans were already made which was because he was where he was. So having somebody pay for it and plan it and have it done so you just get there and enjoy each other's company is huge. We do that. Empowered Spouses is a retreat we do. It's 20 women for five days, no cell phones up in the mountains and we do all kinds of things from skeet shooting to archery to hiking to yoga as breaks. But then the rest of the time, it's hardcore academic work, and we're diving in deep to emotions, tools to use in your marriage because service marriages are different, right? And um,
1: this is a nonprofit. Is this a right? Nonprofit, yeah. Specific yep. to military veterans or
2: active duty veteran and first responders. All these service marriages are at high risk of divorce.
1: What is the name of that organization? Chris
2: Kyle Frog Foundation. Frogs because Frogman, Navy SEALs, and yeah. he had a frog tattoo on yeah, his shoulder. Yeah, shoulders. of course. So the marriage is really important. And it is really hard, and what you were talking about, there are all kinds of dynamics. Like, how do you have faith, right? So if Chris is out on a training mission with a bunch of young guys with a lot of testosterone, a lot of fun, a lot of drinking, some married, some not, and it's surprising how many women want to just have sex with a guy because he's a SEAL, mm-hmm. right? Like, the uniform's of hot course. anyway, and then oh, they yeah. find out you're a SEAL, and, How do you deal with that and know that there's infidelity going on and trust that your husband isn't one of those, right? And how do you trust that when you call him, you can't always get him? Maybe it's because they're in a remote area training. Maybe it's because they're at the club, right? I mean, that's a different dynamic. It's very, very hard to be the person How do you control the
1: imagination to not let loose? Because that's what happens. You're laying in the bed by yourself and your imagination's just going to a place. He's in this place. What if that's taking place and he's got one friend I'm worried about because that friend is single? You know, you're thinking all that stuff. Right, of course. How are you controlling your imagination?
2: My journey with Chris was really... I think a journey of turning fear into faith. And it, it started with some of those issues as well, not just war, right? But how do you trust this marriage? There's a few things. One is, you know, if you know your spouse inside and out, you know if it's happening, you do. You can question it, you can try to look around, you, can, you know, there's something different with them, right? And these guys are also trained to lie in case they got captured. I mean, there's a lot of things that you go as mm-hmm. a wife, oh my gosh, right? And Chris would tell me, yeah, we're trained to do that. But if you really know somebody, they have a tell that they don't, they're don't. they not aware that they have. And you'll pick up on it, right? Um, I think you also know when your marriage is really solid, and Chris just wasn't the type of guy to do that stuff. He just wasn't. And-
1: So you didn't go there a lot?
2: No, I didn't. But you know, okay. we did have a hard time though, right? Like there was a time where things were not good. And, um, and my method was, I thought if I pull away, he'll come closer to me. And when I pulled away, he thought she's done with me. And he went this way, right?
1: So, he would go away? No, he I mean, would he, come uh, emotionally.
2: I thought if I pulled back in the relationship a little right. bit, instead of keep trying to push and we should be closer, we should be closer, I thought fine, I'll pull back, he'll come forward, right? Did he? No. He thought if, if you're pulling out, you must be done with this marriage. So, so that, what
1: happened in that moment?
2: Well, it was it was over time. It was over time and there was right. a perfect storm of things that happened and, um, you know, it just, it was, it was the hardest time and we detailed a little bit in the book, American Sniper, but um, That was the worst time. And I I realized that I have some responsibility in that. And that's why at the Frog Foundation, we are pulling these couples together because it's two people. It's never just one, right? And I had some responsibility to learn about this life and, and what he needed. I also, I grew up a strong, independent woman, right? And that's what a lot of service members, they marry a strong spouse. his
1: dad is a lieutenant colonel. Right. But then you
2: have two alphas that are trying to be one. Two alphas, meaning
1: you and Chris.
2: Right. Because usually service people marry strong people, right? Because they know they're going to be gone. No doubt. And so now you have two type A's, right, in one house. And so the other part of my journey was learning that, and this isn't too popular with a lot of people these days, but... I do believe that in the marriage, the man should take the lead, right? And, and doing that, I don't lose any power. I gain a ton of power. And that's a misconception, I think, in society that, you know, we're fighting for power everywhere. And the truth is you can lead the world outside of your marriage. Do it, right? But when you come back, there's one thing that a man needs always, it's respect. And you can say he shouldn't. He should. I don't care. It's how he's made. Mm. Period. I've never met a man that doesn't need it. And my son taught me a lot about being a man, right? Because there are things that are innate that nobody's teaching him that are just innate to being a man, right? Yes. So it's so cool. And so, and women, we need to be cherished, and that feels a lot like respect, right? If you're giving the man respect and you're saying I married you because I respect you, it's not. It's not submitting like oh I can't make a decision. It's saying you know somebody's got to lead. You lead. And, and you know what happens? The guy usually says, hey, babe, what do you think about this? Right? Because when it's not threatened, you're much more
1: no doubt. desirable to be a partner. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, it, very, very uh, true when you're saying that. So, um, you know, the other part would be, how did you handle it yourself? You're an attractive woman yourself. Your husband's away. There's guys out there that are looking at us saying, hey, there's an opportunity here. How did you handle when guys flirted with you when he was away?
2: You know, that's an, I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because I know there's this thing about women being harassed or sexually harassed or in the workforce or whatever. Maybe I just was raised really strong, but I've never not been able to handle my business, ever. And I'm not insulting anybody that has had a problem because I know there are people that it's been horrible for them and emotional. But I know, I'm smart. I know if a man's coming on to me, I know if he's pushing the line and I know how to jokingly and not, offensively call it out, right? And I've been very direct with people before, right? Well, and if, you, said, if
1: you're as direct as you were in that movie, I mean, yeah. you know, and the feeling I'm getting from it. But, you know, say somebody, say a woman wasn't raised in an environment where they know right. how to do it or how not to do it. What is your coaching? If okay. I'm, a, I'm a woman, yep. I'm married, my husband is in uh, Afghanistan, he's deployed, and I'm kind of like, well... Uh, tell you, i'm kind of struggling with this you know because i'm like single i have some needs how do i what was your approach right. what was okay. your system
2: perfect i'll give you i'll give you a graceful example of a way Please. i think it worked perfectly married guy right in a work environment and he was um, at a position of power and um and he was pressuring me you know, flirting whatever i could handle it whatever and then when he came right out and said it uh i said you know what I, my idea is you give, you give somebody the opportunity to save face, right? You're not out to, to s- destroy. So I said, you know what? I believe that you love your wife, and I know that she loves you, and I think you just made an error in judgment here, and I'm, I'm going to look past it, and we're going to move on, because I don't really think that's, that's who you are. So let's, let's move forward, right?
1: Okay, so that's one if he's married. What if he's single?
2: I think if he's single, and or if you're not interested, right, and, and you're uncomfortable or whatever, you could say, um, you know what, you're a great guy. We need to find somebody for you. Right? We need to find a way for you to get somebody that meets that matches your personality. Because you're it's a way to say I'm not interested, but you're giving them an opportunity to say face two and I don't think I don't think you need to be defensive or um or on the hunt, right? Now if it's getting to the point where somebody's, you know, touching you and and stuff like that, then you gotta draw the line. If you gotta call the cops, you gotta call the cops. If you gotta say This is inappropriate, it's inappropriate. Sure. But you can do it with a smile on your face and still look them in the eye the next day.
1: I think that says a lot about the character. It's yeah. that, great. But I think a lot of that is not being talked about. I'm being, I'm right. and, and, and I've been on both sides. I've been, uh, we partied heavy and we were then we would see all of it. We would see the married side, the single side, all this. I have my own opinions about marriage while you're in Hollywood, sports, music, or military. Absolutely. I have a certain opinion about those four things. What is your opinion about getting married in your 20s while you're in the military and you are getting deployed. Advice both to men, you were married to an A-type that went straight to the top, sniper, 160 confirmed, some call him the greatest of all time as a sniper. He gives credit to a different guy, uh, Hatchco- uh, Hatchcock. Carlos Hatchcock. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he gives credit to the other guy, but a lot of people said he was the one with the 160 confirms. So this is not a regular, if he plays another sport, he's, he's one of the best to play the game. Right. And you're an A-type. What advice are you giving to a... Uh, uh, 23 year old that's in but hey i'm kind of alone i feel like i gotta love somebody and this girl i'm seeing you know i'm thinking about pulling the trigger and saying yes to or the girl saying i'm thinking about getting married but he gets deployed a lot what advice would you give
2: well i think first of all you have to understand that it's going to be a mystery and it's going to unfold you just don't know if it's combat deployments you don't know if they're going to get injured right there's so many variables so i think you have to know that at the end of the day this is the person that you really are committing to for real, right? Like those vows are no joke. If his legs were amputated, would you still love him? Would you still stand by him? You know, would you brush his teeth? Would you do the things that you need to do that way? I think that's a good indicator of if yes, then that's a good solid soulful love, not just a physical love. I think if you have faith and you have commitment and you have some idea of how these marriages work, it's really helpful. One of the things that you have to do is know you're not gonna have the time that other people have and you're not gonna have the money that they have. So the conventional advice in the civilian world is not gonna work for your service marriage. That's another reason our foundation exists. It's not rocket science, they're just different tools. Civilian counselors will not be able to help you. So I think if you can find a mentor of somebody Powerful. who- Yeah, if you can find a mentor of somebody who made their military marriage work yeah. and ask them some questions, that'd be ideal.
1: Oh my gosh, you gave such great counsel. I'm gonna transition now into business because our audience is entrepreneurs. You know, a lot of times when you get married, uh, to somebody who may be he or she. Say you are the woman, you're the entrepreneur, he's not. Or you're the man, you're the entrepreneur, she's not. And you, you date somebody and you're getting ready to get married and she was raised in an environment where the father came home every night at five o'clock and everybody had that whole regular lifestyle right. and say hey, this is, but this is how I saw it. I saw my mom at that having dinner every night at five o'clock, six o'clock. How come you're not gonna be doing mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Um, I think it's important, my wife and I were dating and uh, uh, I asked her, I said, who, who are you talking to? Like, if let's just say you want to have a follow out, who are you going to call, who are the five right. people going to call? And eventually it got to a point where we went and saw a counselor before getting married. And I said, I want us to talk to a counselor on seeing what feedback they're going to give us before we get married. Every girlfriend I dated, we saw a therapist or a counselor because I know we need help, so I want feedback, so we're yeah, both on the smart. same page. And one uh, of the counselor said, in order for a marriage to work, you both have to have dinner every night at 6 o'clock because that's the key to successful marriage. I said, we're never going to see right, you again. Right. I got up and I walked out. I said, babe, I like the guy. I said, it's not about I like the guy. He's not living my life. That's right. And I'm not him. That's right. So what you're saying is very important because sometimes we could take counsel from somebody that may give good counsel for a certain lifestyle, but not the lifestyle you're choosing to live. The lifestyle you're choosing to right. live is not an easy one. Right. So interesting what you're saying. How I much? Wanna, can
2: I touch on that for please, a second, though? Because I think that, um, you know, my, my friend who was so brilliant about this too, if you, give, if you give a guy the opportunity to lead, right? So in your situation, if you know your wife is counting on you to lead, right? And that the responsibility of the family unit is on you, the, the wellness of it, right? Are you gonna treat that a little differently than if your wife is saying, you need to be home at six o'clock and we need to have a family dinner, right? Giving you the responsibility yeah. all of a sudden puts this as much more valuable it's not just your job that you're in charge of you're also in charge of the wellness of your family right and I think that that's that's part of that misconception thing for people they think that they're losing power they're not like they're gaining everything and um, and you're right you you do need somebody to to be a friend to your marriage so that that woman that said when you want to date the least you need it the most she's a pediatrician her husband is a SWAT officer and she said to me one time she said hey I want you to know this about me I am your friend but I'm a friend of your marriage first because I think that's the best way to be your friend, right? And I had to think about that. And wow. what she's saying is if, you, or if you're just my friend, Patrick, yeah. and I call you and you'd be like, man, don't put up with that crap from him, da-da-da-da, right? But if you're a friend of my marriage first, you are a better friend to me because what you'll say is, okay, let's look at this. Let's dissect it. Where is he coming from? Do you have an understanding of his situation, yeah. right? So I think you need to have people who are friends of your marriage.
1: I, I will never win an argument about uh, my dad and I. If I tell him anything about my wife I'm upset with, I will never win. Right. It's always your fault, Pat. Yeah. You know, you got to go figure it out. You look what, who you have there, et cetera, et cetera. And that's on her side, which eventually, anyways, helps the marriage out. Yeah. So, you know, there's a scene in a movie which was very interesting to me where you're laying next to each other, and at least that's the movie, where you're laying next to each other and you're asking him, tell me why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. and he says I'm doing it for you and he's like no you're not doing it for me why are you doing this
2: your family is here your children have no father
1: you have to serve my country.
2: you don't know when to quit you did your part You sacrificed enough you let somebody else go Let
0: somebody else go yeah you, I couldn't live with my yeah family. well
1: you find a way I'm almost certain that probably happened at one point
2: yeah for sure how
1: did it feel knowing and if you disagree with the statement I'm about to make, please do so. Oh, you
2: know I will, right? No, I, I, I,
1: I, that's, why, that's why I like <laughs> I know, this conversation, I because I really want to have some insight on this. I was in the military. I saw it. I think yeah. there's a lot of people that do struggle with this. There's a part of being a Navy SEAL. I mean, Navy SEAL is Navy SEAL. It's not just Army, Marines. It's Navy SEAL. How does it feel knowing that the country comes before you? You know, knowing his responsibilities and duties come first before the family does. Yep. At least that's what the commitment is. Right? How did that feel? And did you ever feel that way? And if you did, were you okay with it?
2: Right. No, I, that was part of my journey in growing into this. Because when Chris would always say, he would never say one was more important than the other. He would just say, you know, I feel like I need to do this. This is my purpose too, but you're equally important. And I didn't understand that until I was more in his position after he died where my kids are equally as important, but I also have this other thing that I'm trying to do too, right? And I had to work through that and figure that out. And I realized how difficult that can be. I also think in growing and learning about just the core of men, Purpose is important for everyone. It was really important to me, too. For some reason, as a woman, I think we're very complex creatures, and so we can have purpose here and purpose there, and we can, you know, sometimes it's a burden to be that complex, you know, but I think there's a simplicity to men that is beautiful and necessary in this world, and some of that simplicity, that purpose, is a necessity. A man is not gonna be a healthy man not having a strong sense of purpose outside of just being a dad and a husband, right? And so, I think we have to respect that and say it's not a choice he's making. It's part of his makeup, right? And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. So I I learned to understand it a little bit more. I think toward the end when he got out, we we don't talk about it a lot. There were there are other options for him to do that wouldn't have been combat, but combat was what his his purpose was and that's they overused him and they know that. They broke every rule and kept sending him back, you know, needs of the navy's Trump everything. And so there were parts of him that were just, you know, he blew out both knees physically, mentally, emotionally. They were killing him because they didn't let him be human for just a minute. Just take a breath, give him a year to just do a shore duty. And, and I've gotten calls from some of the um, higher-ups apologizing, you know, afterwards saying, I'm really, really? sorry, yeah. How did you, know, you handle that call? You know, I I try to give grace because I understand regret and I understand that you did the best you could at the time with the information you had, right? And I'm glad that you see it now because that means you can do it differently for someone else, right? And, And honestly, I'm really, in a way, look, it ended up being a blessing because he knew it, I knew it, and so he made the choice, right? And in doing that for his short life, he got to be a dad and he got to be there all the time. And I mean, he was working, but you know what I'm saying, every night type of thing. And it was, I heard him say, and I'm so glad I did, to guys that were thinking about getting out. He would say, I'm not ever gonna be one that says you should get out of the military. But if you're asking me because you want to get out, I'm telling you I have more joy in my family than I ever had in the military.
0: You can do 30 years in the military. I'm not trying to tell guys to get out. All I'm trying to do is say, hey look, take care of your family, because once you're out of the military, your time will end sooner or later. And then what are you gonna have? You better make sure your life is set up to have your family
2: and I wouldn't have believed that necessarily when I was in, right? Because you have that sense of purpose and it's life and death and it's adrenaline. Yes, I overheard him on the phone saying it. He would tell me he wanted to live, you know, before when he was in the military, if you die in a blaze of glory, you know, okay, great, no problem. Once he got out, he was like, man, I want to live to be an old man, you know? Yeah, and and I
1: saw that when uh, he was being interviewed, I think on Time Magazine, and the lady was asking 10 questions Mm -hmm. uh, from him. And one of the questions was, you know, uh, uh, how's it feel uh, knowing you're the best sniper of, of all time, and what if for the rest of your life you don't do anything as good as this? I'm a better husband and father than I was a killer. I'm pretty comfortable with not having to kill anyone. So he defended that.
2: Yeah, he and says, he, was, he was amazing. Yeah, yeah. He,
1: he said, and then he said, uh, What I do currently right now, I do it very good, is mm-hmm. whatever his job was yeah. at the time. And he says, look, as long as you allow me to go, you know, doing all this stuff, if you stop me from doing deer hunting, I'm going to be miserable. But right. aside from that, I'm a pretty, I feel like I, I can do a lot of things yeah. good. So you can sense the pride he had on being a husband and a, and a father. There was right. a lot of pride behind that. And some of the clips you posted with, you know, him reading, he says, i want to read two books to you when I'm gone. You know, those things are very emotional. Man. Right. I'm sure the yeah. kids are going to appreciate that a lot.
0: Read two more and then you go to bed. It's just a lighter. When I'm gone, you can
1: look at the tape. My father was uh, uh, telling me, uh, he surprised my sister, a video he found of her running around in the park when she was two. Aww. And my sister's older and he was showing this video. I'm like, wow, you know, back in the days, you know, camera didn't exist 40 yeah. some years right. ago. And I said, Dad, do you have videos of me? I'm Like I'm waiting, show me some videos yeah, of yeah. me. He says, no, I don't have any videos of me. I said, I'm younger. He says, how do you not have videos? He says, I sh- I just didn't take the videos. of kid, that. I yeah. took Videos of my girl, yeah, you know, yeah, my baby yeah. girl. But obviously, I understand. I have a girl now. There's a big difference to love yeah. you have for your daughter than a son. It's a different kind of love.
2: Plus, you were the second kid, right? It's the second it kid. It is a little bit harder to keep up when you got uh, two. I, you know, I, they get less I pictures of them. them. Yeah. So
1: much today yeah. because I have so many more videos on my first one than the other two because the first one was like you know, pride and joy. It's your first kid and yeah. experience the whole thing.
2: I want to touch on one thing you said when Chris said he was a much better husband and father. That is true, but I want people to know. That, that there is a transition period that I was not prepared for. So getting out of the military, and that's one of the reasons with the Frog Foundation we deal with veterans too. You think when he's on leave, we're having such a good time that when he gets out, it's like leave all the time. It's going to be awesome. And it really wasn't. It was really hard for the first year. Wow. He really struggled getting out. He really struggled with having a sense of purpose change. He struggled with where he was gonna find his place, and dealing with all the things that he experienced, I guess, probably started to flood back in, and he didn't have regrets about it, but I just think it's a lot to process, so I would encourage people who are considering that to be prepared that it is not an overnight thing, and he got to that point, I think, very quickly, all things considered, but it wasn't overnight. It was really rough when he got out. It
1: was it, it wasn't true the fact that you know he would wake up in the middle of the night if he didn't say his name, he would punch, he would swing.
2: He did that before the military, though. That's just he was just always like a, a jumpy well, then type that dude. That makes sense
1: because he yeah. said there's two things I said I'm gonna do in life. One, I want to be a cowboy. Two, I want to be a soldier. Yeah. It was a yeah. something he said since he was a kid. So yeah. that kind of makes sense because there's yeah. a level of congruency there.
2: But it uh, did get a little. I mean, probably got a little more aggressive. But yeah.
1: it did get a little more aggressive. But, I mean,
2: probably. I, it was never it was never a problem for me until after he was in the military, right? But if it was a stranger, like if he fell asleep on a plane right. or somebody did, he'd come up swinging, or you know. Yeah, you see? Like
1: did you see the movie Hurt Locker? Did you? I uh,
2: didn't. I should have, but yeah, I didn't. I think.
1: I think there will be a, a similarity there because he he was feening going back. It's almost like this is I have to do this. Mm-hmm. You can't keep me out here. I gotta go back and do it again. I'm saying Fifty Nine are dead.
2: You know they need more bomb tech. want to
1: chop those up for me? Did Chris ever have that element to him or no?
2: Well, not after, I mean, after he got out, I don't think that was as much a part of it because, like I got said, they, they really burned him down. But I do think, something you said just sparked this in me. Um, they did a test, like a simulated thing on him because they were trying to study in the military the effects of war and that kind of thing. And so it was a simulation where he had a gun and they put all the sounds of the war and there was people studying him, right? And so, and as soon as the the gunfight started his blood pressure went down right and so he was in his calm place and whatever and the only time it spiked was when there was another american or ally soldier that was screaming i don't want to die i don't want to die i'm hit right and that's when all of a sudden everything started to jumble in chris and that's so true to his personality it was the guys that he couldn't save right because he never saw his job as taking lives he saw it as saving lives. And if you, didn't, if you didn't take this life, then these lives, and that was from his very first kill, which was in the movie too, right? If he didn't take that shot, five or six people die, right? And so it's just, I think that's, also says what his trauma was. His trauma wasn't for the job that he did. He was able to make that right in his head. It was the people that you can't save.
1: Yeah, he talked about that on many, many different interviews.
0: You know, when I was in those situations, the only thing I'm thinking of is, Trying to stop them from the act of violence that they're trying to commit on my guys, the allies, or the innocent civilians in those cities. They're leaving behind their families and their families go through hard, stressful times without their spouses being there. I would love to be known for the number of people I saved. I'm committed to making sure every service member that was over there, whether American or allied, came home.
1: It's been over six years, right? right? Have you already uh, uh, moved on and started dating? Because I know it's a very common question. nobody asks you. Right. Robin asks you. Everybody's asking yeah. you. Are you dating? Have you started feeling a little bit more comfortable at like getting into the dating scene, or no?
2: No. And you know what's interesting about that? I've, I've done some deep dives into some uh, therapy. There was a, a type of therapy called accelerated resolution therapy. It uses your eye movements and your brain connections and, and develops pathways. And at one of the times I was telling her, I can't think about it without wanting to throw up or cry. And so, yeah, and I'm like, obviously I have an issue that's buried there because it's probably six years has gone by. I should probably be able to think about it without that reaction, right? And so she, she went through it with me and even now it kind of makes me want to cry. Um, but she did go through it with me and she said, you just need to picture Chris and get him with you and write a new contract with him. And I couldn't do it. I mean, I really, and I, I I couldn't do it right and she said you need to write a new contract how does he come with you for the rest of your life but in a way that is different right and I you know I had the ugly cry I got pain everywhere mm-hmm. and I was like I can't do it and, and that's hard for me because I like to just toughen up and, and muscle through and do what I need to do especially to get better I want to get better and um, and so she said okay then you just gotta sit down with yourself and then you talk to you and make a new contract, right? So what you're doing is you're connecting your left and right brain when you do that, and you're following a hand movement so that your eyes access the different parts of your brain. I realized more the issues and I realized the excuses, and I kind of was able to make some peace to say, maybe the red flags or the excuses I'm putting up are not legitimate. I mean, I could go with kids, I could go with time, I could go with all these reasons why it would just never work and, and I don't want to. But at the end of the day, I did all that, and I still have a hard time with the idea. Uh-huh. So I, I've been thinking even this week, it's funny you bring it up, I've been thinking even this week that maybe I need to go Go see somebody again. I mean, I'm not dying to have somebody, that's fine. You're but not. No, I'm not at all. I have a really happy life. So you're
1: fulfilled. You're not. You're so not. fulfilled.
2: But I also think that if you see a problem in you, you, the right thing to do is to find a way to, you know, to get it out and I don't think it's normal that I feel like crying to think about that or that love the mm-hmm. idea of love makes me cry for me for other people that's my foundation work I love it I mm-hmm. want to keep people mm-hmm. married um, and I, I could I could guess that it's the pain of loss um, I guess that's making me want to cry that's probably a big one because I don't love in halves you know I love in holes. if I love you I love you with all of me and that's the same for my friends my kids and so I don't know that that was hard to survive that you know
1: I bet I saw a speech you gave to a classroom where you said, uh, did your son tell you, Mom, you don't need anybody because I love you? Yes. What a powerful thing. It was.
2: And you know what? Two months ago, maybe, um, he sat in front of me. He said, Mom, um, I just wanted you to know that if you found somebody you were happy with, I'd be happy for you.
1: Wow. How old old was he when he said that? He's
2: 14. And um, (sighs) I, I asked him, I said, was that hard for you? to say, and he said, a little bit. And I said, out of loyalty to your dad or just the idea of it? And he said, both, you know? I said, I get it. And then he was fine and I started crying and crying, you know, and I was like, I just can't picture it. I just don't see it, you know, but thank you. It means a lot to me that you said that. And um, so, you know, I I don't know. I know I got work to do, obviously. Something's broken in there still.
1: You know, I'll give you my testimony real quick for you to process it any way you want. When my parents got a divorce, uh, I did not want either one of them to remarry at yeah. all let me tell you when I tell you at all I mean at all yeah and I was overprotective of my mother I mean I was overprotective about everybody yeah because w- when they got a divorce I was at Germany at a refugee camp uh, 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 divorce was probably filed when I was 11 and then you know in the Middle Eastern culture when a wife goes through a divorce it's a mess right. so she didn't want to go through it to remarry and uh, I would say don't but looking back oh my gosh you know, as a, as a son now of yeah. both my parents, yeah. I, w- I would have loved to have seen them both remarry. Right. Uh, for many reasons. So, uh, one is, number one would be emotionally. Right. To have somebody to have a conversation with. We were just having a conversation before, and I was talking to my friends. I was saying, hey, so let me ask you, because I was processing your story and, and his story. I said, uh, marriage. You, you, I asked my friends who were divorced, and some that were married and some that were single. I said, do you miss being married? Yes. Tell me why. What do you miss? I miss uh, uh, having sharing a life with somebody was right. a key word. And this is coming from an alpha male. Right. I miss sharing my life with somebody. Right. Don't get me wrong. I'm career driven. I want to do all this stuff, but I miss sharing my life with somebody.
2: Yep. That's a big deal. I know. Because, I, I mean, even when Chris was deployed, I had those moments where I said, the problem is they're my memories, not our memories, uh, yeah. right? And I still struggle with that, but I tend to just have really good girlfriends, and I just I tell them I share the memories just so that somebody's there to share them. And the older my kids get, you know, we share them. But
1: you know, I think I think a part of it has to be a, a level of uh, uh, admiration from whoever you date for your for your, for Chris. Yeah. You know, it's uh, this is a weird example, but I I look at The Rock. Okay, The Rock, uh, his uh, ex-wife, his name is Danny, Danny Garcia and danny garcia is his agent and manager today oh and the guy he used to train with is her husband now and they still train together oh and they have a phenomenal relationship together nothing weird it's just a phenomenal relate all her all his business dealings all go through her so it works out because the husband has respect for the old ex-husband they still have kids family I think it needs to be a situation like that because you didn't just marry a regular guy. You married a high achiever, a peak performer uh an a-type and isn't it's that
2: ironic be. though because i met him as just a regular guy yeah
1: but but that's even that's even what makes it special <laughs> yeah. is the fact that it was the journey from yeah. march 2002 to february 2nd of 2013. that journey is what makes it what right. it is today but so he
2: was unique i shouldn't say he was a regular guy because there was something different about him or i wouldn't have married him but yeah no
1: doubt about it i yeah. mean when a kid knows from beginning that listen i'm gonna go in the military i'm gonna be a cowboy like he's saying this yeah. when he's a kid he's not playing around yeah, he's, exactly he's being very serious about yeah. what he's saying And uh, I like a part about uh, what, uh, the reason why I think Bradley Cooper was the right fit to play his role. In an interview, when they asked Bradley Cooper about the role his father played in his life, and his father played a very big role in his Mm -hmm. life, he said, they set a great example to me because my parents wanted me to choose a career that made me happy, but I also had a lot of self-generated desire. What a word he used, he said self-generated desire. And I think Chris had a self-generated desire to go to the top. So transitioning into Bradley, you know, how did you feel looking at Bradley? I'm like, this guy put on 50 pounds, took the axe and took all of that to play the part. And he, I mean, you're watching this, you're thinking, that's not Bradley Cooper. I'm looking at guy Chris Kyle. I was in the movie. Yeah. There's a few movies that do that to you. There's a reason why this movie, you know, box office at $600 million. That's yeah. a lot of numbers, right? Oh, my there. gosh, yeah. How did it feel, you know, having that scene, you know, Bradley played a role?
2: It's such an emotional thing because uh, Bradley's just a good person, too and he really put his heart and soul into it. I was not a part of the making of the movie. And in fact the I mean, I, I spent all my time with Jason, the screenwriter. Got it. And then um and Bradley and I are friends today and I have a lot of respect for him. I wasn't on set to the point where the last day they said, um, do you wanna come for the last day? It'd be a great way to wrap it up and and my son had a spelling bee and he was champion of his class and then he had the the grade wide spelling bee that day and i was like i can't do it man like my kids like um and i don't have any regrets he won it was pretty cool i wouldn't have missed it for the world yeah so it was fun you know but um i never did go to the set uh, and watching the movie is very emotional i've only seen it twice in its entirety once when i went to warner brothers to preview it and once at the premiere it's it's very powerful, it's so well done. And even sometimes when I'm on a speaking engagement and the, and some people choose to play like a clip of the movie, it's really hard for me to go on right Seriously? after they play a clip, yeah. It's just really well done.
1: So so do you look at Bradley Cooper today as, is it a, a, a emotional, like do you look at him as an actor and a talent, do you look at him as a friend or do you look at him as, I, you know, there's a part of me that's emotional when I see uh, Bradley.
2: I told you you're intuitive, yeah, there's both. I, I do have an emotional connection there and, it's been confusing sometimes to me because I think that the biggest thing is that he understood Chris and he loved him, right? And I think, I think in a spiritual sense, Chris spent time with him. And to me, that's a powerful draw because I feel like you know my husband, right? And you know him better than a lot of people because you studied him and you embraced him and you embodied him. And I believe that you accessed him you know, while you were doing this. And um, so there is that emotional connection and, and it's interesting to have that with somebody that you didn't know prior, right? Because you have a depth that you didn't create because the two of you sat and talked or answered your questions mm-hmm. in your book. Um, and and he's been really patient in going through that process with me through my grief too, you know, where I'm trying to figure out how, make sense of it, you know? But I also think he's a he's a longevity type guy when it comes to friends, you know? He's got friends from childhood and he's not going anywhere, you know? and um, so I've, that's been the nice thing for me to think, feel like, feels like no time and then time. And then I look back and realize, man, you know, he's been a friend for a long time and been really patient through all the kind of different things.
1: Did you ever look at him and was there an emotional attraction to him after seeing how close he played Chris? It
2: was, I think it was so overwhelmingly sad, all of it, that, you know, I think Bradley, I, I didn't sit with him at the premiere either. And I think he cried for a while after, you know, it closed there and then, I I did. I stood up and hugged Jason and his amazing wife, and like escaped real quick and just went in the hallway and just bawled my eyes out, you know. And um, and so there there was that at that time, I think. But um, you know, he's yeah. There is a connection there based on that, right? But um but he's his own person too and i'm my own person and we're living our own lives too it's just i I can't make sense of it entirely well
1: i mean when i see the interview uh of you and him there's a couple interviews but when you see the interview and you can tell the intensity in the room with a level of calmness it's so weird like i see your chest your breathing card sitting right next to him and he's you know calm and you guys talking about the whole story from a, you know, I'm not I'm not part of the story, I'm not yeah. part of Bradley's life, I'm not part of your life. Looking from the outside, I say, listen, there is, there is some kind of an emotional connection there. I'm sure there's different for Bradley Cooper to play Wedding Crashers oh, or totally. Hunger, you know, or what was it? Uh, hangover. Uh, hangover yeah. or uh, Stars uh, Star born, born, which yeah. was insane. There's death there as well, but it's a different kind of a death and service and marriage and honor yeah. and valor and all of that combined, that's like, yeah, you know. So when I looked it's a at a energy, yeah. yeah. When I looked at, it, I said, you know what? Interesting. I'd I'm, be so yeah. curious to know how your conversation went together because you looked at him and you're like, there was an attraction there. Was it emotional? What was it that you saw that, as a person from the outside that's fascinated by movies yeah. and stars and stories, just an observation when I saw yeah. the two of you.
2: I think that. Yeah, I think there's immense gratitude too. I can never, you know, his his dedication to that role set my life on a different path too. And so I've got two men that I owe that to, right? And it's Chris and it's Bradley. Wow. Right? They, they set me up to be able to go forward.
1: And I know that's very important for uh, someone like you to experience it the way you have. So. The part about your kids, I remember one time you were saying they hadn't seen the movie. Have they seen the movie since? or no, not?
2: they haven't, but they're Still? they're getting there, right? They're getting to the point. And Bradley wants to be there when they do watch it. and so we'll have to figure out a time for that in the future. and um,
1: that's got to be recorded for your own uh, memories, like you think. oh my gosh, like that, listen, if I'm the father, I'm telling you, I want I want that to be recorded and kept. Yeah. Because and, and if I'm the kid, and imagine I'm your son today, 14, but f- uh, visualize me at 40. Yeah. I want to see my reaction. Yeah. Because I want to show that to my kids one day.
2: Yeah. I want them to see
1: it. I want them to kind of see. Uh, here's who was your grandpa. Yeah. Just so you know. Yeah. And here's how much your dad loved his dad.
2: Yeah.
1: The level of respect that yeah. for him. So that's going to happen soon, huh?
2: Yeah, I think so. My daughter's cool. been asking more than my son, believe it or not. She was she was so close to her dad too, and. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't, you know, I've had this hesitation. I'll tell you why. It was really important to me that their memories are so solidified of their dad that nothing can change that, right? And so I don't, I didn't want anything to interfere with that. I also thought it was really heavy subject matter, you know, and they're not any stranger to that. From the time they've been toddling, you know, they've seen me get a call that one of our friends died and we pray for the family and, you know, they're not a stranger to the realities of war and, and things like that. But um, I think I just needed to make sure that they were so solid in their own memories that they didn't ever wonder, was that my memory or was that from the movie, you know?
1: Did they shoot the movie in 14 or 15?
2: And we were working on it at 13, I think. So they turned in the rough draft for the movie the day before Chris was killed. So they were already working on That's it then. That's right. Yeah.
1: That's right, and because so, the, because Bradley and him only had one conversation to get uh, on yeah, the phone, Yeah, a couple right? on the phone, I think, yeah. yeah. Did you ever have a chance to meet Clint Eastwood as well, or no? Oh
2: yeah, oh my gosh, yes, and I've seen him a couple times since then, and what a neat guy. Oh my, I just... I bet. Yeah, they came out, you know, they came out to stay in Little Midlothian, Texas and stayed at the Holiday Inn down the street, and you know, they, they were um, very kind and humble when they came out to visit. And,
1: uh, I, I uh, have a lot of respect for Clint on how he uh, uh, tells stories and uh, uh, the kind of a talent he is. And I, I put him in the genius category. I don't yeah. think there's a, he's in a class of his own. There's only yeah, a small He writes comi- all the
2: music too. He wrote a uh, theme song called Taya's Song in American Sniper 2. No too. way. For real. Yeah. Really? He's a composer, yeah. It's wow. crazy.
1: Yeah, I see him as somebody like that. I yeah. see him as a full on genius. A yeah. bit of a maybe mad genius off camera.
2: He's not though, you know, he's just, he's literally like a, just kind of a, Aw, shucks, laugh. Really? Easy. Oh, my gosh. Easy going. Um, yeah, just, e- yeah, real calm, chill, just what you'd want him to be, kind of. Witty. And, and he Very was, witty.
1: He was a stud growing up. I mean, yeah. this guy is like a good looking, you know, handsome, yeah. you know. He was like a lady killer woman, loved yeah. him. And uh, today he's still running the game. You can tell that's pure love of the game. At this point, you're right. not doing it to make another $50 right. million or $20 million. Right. You just love the game. You mind if we transition to the event of what happened Uh, when Chris was shot. Legendary Navy SEAL Chris Kyle, the most lethal sniper in U.S. history, was gunned down at a Texas shooting range over the weekend. The authorities
2: have now released the 911 call made just after that shooting. Listen, my brother just came by
1: here. He told me that he's committed a murder.
0: Allegedly shooting him and his friend at point-blank range. The two were trying to help an Iraq war veteran. Eerie text message from former Navy SEAL Chris Kyle. This dude is straight up
1: nuts. What I want to know is when Chad texts him saying, this guy is uh, a loose cannon. I don't know the exact words he used, but he yeah. says, this guy's a bit off. Yeah. And then I think Chris texts back saying, watch my six, which obviously right. watch my six is watch my back. So when he was going out, was this the first time ever they went out with him? Or yes. So they've never been out with them. Right.
2: It was a mom who... It was at our kids' school and said, my son has PTSD, will you help him? He did not, according to psychiatrists on both prosecution and defense, he never had any traumatic event in his life. He didn't have it. He was getting a lot of money from the military claiming it, right, and he was getting out of a lot of trouble claiming it, but he didn't actually, according to them, have it. So um, it was was interesting. You know, Chris um, asked, would your son like to shoot? This is my understanding. And she said yes, but what I learned in the trial was that somebody testified that uh, they had taken all the guns out of their house because they were scared he was going to shoot himself and the whole family or something. So I have, some, I have some very hard feelings about why would you tell him that he was good around guns but protect your own family. Just tell him no. Chris will take him out for a cup of coffee. There's a lot of other things you can do. You know, you don't, it, shooting is great for people who love to do it. It's very relaxing, right? Um, but it's not good for people who are obviously not stable. So He took him down there with the best of intentions and the thing, obviously I've gone over it in my mind and we experienced enough death in our life from friends and that I know there's no good in doing the what ifs, I know that. But I have, I do remember my last conversation with him and I do remember he wasn't happy, right, when he was on the phone around that guy. And he's just a man of his word, right? He said he would do it, he was doing it. And so where some people might have said, you know what, you're pissing me off. Like like they, he apparently in the trial we learned they were going to get a uh, Whataburger, and he said he didn't want anything, but they ordered him a burger anyway just in case he got hungry later. They're like, well, we'll just get you some in case you're hungry, and apparently that made him mad, right? I mean, just stupid things, so I can see why they would have been like, man, I don't know what's wrong with this guy, just watch my six, right? You know, just like, God. it could have been even a lighthearted comment about not wanting a burger, right? But we'll never know, and, um, and you know, there's, there's videotapes after, he uh, shot him and took the truck and, you know, he went to Taco Bell and went to get his dog and, you know, that's not the person, that's not a That's not a mentally um, insane person. That's a person who says, yeah, I know what I did and I'm going to get out of here before I get caught, right? Um, in my opinion, but when, when they had the video on him in the police car, it was interesting because when he knew that that people were watching, he kind of appeared to me to be playing up something and then not knowing there was another camera on him when they would go away, you know, he'd be like leaning back in the seat, like whatever bunch of, you know. To me, that's a very calculated thing. Now, obviously, an educated opinion, I'm not a medical professional, but I don't, I I see somebody, when I look at him, I see somebody who was indulged, entitled, got away with a lot for claiming something that, you know, he didn't have according to the the psychiatrist and um, amped it up once too many you know he smoked a lot of dope and had it laced with some things sometimes probably did it this that morning and did
1: they test him for it or no did they kind of see You if know he they was never really were
2: conclusive about oh, that okay. right because the way the law is also that uh, if you take drugs and you do a crime it does it's no excuse you chose to take the drugs so oh, you yeah, can't of get off for being Yeah a yeah, kid. yeah
1: so so uh, when you got the word cuz the whole story is what is he shot chat first, and then he shot Chris five times in the back and once in the back of his head. Who called you first? We actually don't
2: know, even if it was simultaneous. Like, it could have been both, because the sad thing is Chris had um, you know, an old western pistol, and he had fired six on one, I think six on another, and he still had his hand up. He hadn't even put his hand down from shooting, from the last bullet coming out. He got him all the way down his body and, and Chad in the back. So they were never able to tell, from my understanding, if it was simultaneous or if it was one-two, but it was both of them were in the middle of something, right? And um, and then he shot, sh- shot Chad a couple of really horrible times that I even just found out recently. Um, he didn't you know he didn't have to to finish it the way he did and he did so yeah uh that night i was we were um we were at my kids basketball game in the morning having a blast and um it was super fun i competed in like a halftime, you know shooting competition and um and then he was going to go do his thing and the kids were having a great day and um we stopped in at the house real quick and with my daughter and um i'd already dropped off my son at a friend's and so we just said, I love you, you know, he's going, shooting, and Chad was there, and everybody's just kind of in a hurry, but we did what we always do, which is really cool, I think. You know, we we didn't even end a call without I love you, and we didn't leave goodbye without giving a kiss, it's just kind of our thing, and we did that, and then they left, and I uh, called him to see if he wanted to do dinner, and he said, yep, so we were going to go out to dinner with our friend, whose birthday it was. So, and I had the kids all back, and in the meantime, we hadn't heard from them, and I remember Chad's wife, Leanne, was saying, you know, I'm starting to get really concerned, and I said, look, I've been through this a lot in my life, you just you assume it's not them until you know, right? It's not them until it's them, so we're, I mean, we're gonna assume they have a flat tire or something like that. So eventually, as we were getting in the car to go to dinner, and I, I left Chris a message saying, hey, I'm getting a little worried, babe, you know, because um, it wasn't like him not to text or call. Anyway, the police actually showed up, and I was getting the kids in the car, and then obviously, you know, I'm going, okay, this is, but I'm not, I'm still keeping, as cool as can be. And so I said, um, hey, what's up? And he said, hey, I just need uh, Chris's license plate and VIN number and everything for his truck. And I said, okay, what's going on? And he said, he's been hurt. And I said, okay, right? And I said, give me a minute. And so I called my friend who lived close by and I said, hey, come get the kids for a sleepover. And I told the kids, I said, hey, you're gonna go for a sleepover, change of plans, you know? And my son said, mom, are you sure everything's okay? And I've made a point of never lying to my kids ever. I'll I'll find a way to say it, but I said, "I, I don't know. I'm going to believe so right now, but I don't know, Mm. right? Um, And so, uh, he said, are are you sure? He said it second time, and I said, honey, I don't know, but I I think everything's okay. I just want you to go have a sleepover, have a good time, and you know. Um, And so, they left pretty quickly. I told a girlfriend of mine across the street. I said, hey, they said, and that was the first time I cracked, I said, hey, um, they said Chris is hurt, and then I started to, and I said, but I don't want anybody in the house except you, so, or go to dinner, but I just, I need to deal with this on my own. And she said, okay. So I went in the house and I got the police the information they needed. I mean, my girlfriend was there in like, I swear it was like three or four minutes to get in the kids and we had their sleepover bags packed. And um, and so then we, I went in the house and said, uh, I said um, to my friend, you know, nobody else comes in. I called my mom and I said, um, start praying is hurt. I told my other girlfriend that I was very close to, I said, um, hey, Chris has been hurt. Like, I think, I think I called her. I'm, I'm not sure if I did, I know I called my mom. And then um, and then the phone was going off the hook and the texts and all this stuff and I just didn't answer because military training wise, you just, you don't know until you know and people start rumors and take you down a road that you don't have to go down. So eventually, I think it was Mark Lee's mom that kept calling and I finally said, I was irritated at the time. I said, um, hey, what's up, right? And she said, are you okay? And I said, what? And she said, "Well, have you heard?" And I said, "Heard what?" And she said, "Oh, nothing." And I said, "Heard what?" Right? And then she said, "I um and I she said I heard Chris is dead." And I said, "I haven't heard that, but I'll let you know if I do." Right? And I hung up the phone. And I was like, "I'm still not gonna I'm still not gonna go there." Um, and so then there were a few men coming in. I learned later they were pastors, but at that time I was just focused on like getting through and praying for him. So they came in, and then I, at one point, my um, friend that was with me said, hey, the police want to talk to you. And so I went in, and, um, and then that's when they told me. And it was weird, because I had this feeling kind of come over me like, oh, it did happen, right? Like, oh, it is it is my turn. Because you always wonder when your number's up kind He's of done. thing. Yeah. Um, and then she, was, she told me later, she said, it's like you went into business mode right away. And I think I've learned since that that's my protection mechanism. Like, that's too big. So get busy doing what needs to get done so I had the tears you know rolling down my face but I was just like okay who are these people and they're like they're pastors then let's pray right and I said I know where he is but just pray for him anyway and so they did and I was like okay you go right where's Chad what's going on and and then um and then Leanne came over well she was on her way and because um, she had been downtown with her parents and daughter and uh, we didn't know it was Chad, right, but we knew there was another body, and so we figured it was Chad. But at the time, it's the same mentality. You don't know until you know, so until it's him, it's not him. Um, and so she called on the way there, and I didn't want to tell her about Chris, but she said, you know, she was like, damn it, you know, and I said, okay, pull over, right? And I said, okay, he's he's dead. And, um, and so I think I called my mom right away, and then she was like, obviously on a flight, that's my mom um, and my other friend who just had back surgery, like was standing the whole time on the flight, and then... Leanne got to the house, and um, I was mostly trying to just take care of her. We were waiting to hear if it was Chad, but there started to be people coming in the house, and I looked at one of my police officer friends, and I said, um, I said, I'm going for a run. You can come or not. Or I'm going for a walk. I said, you can come or not come, but I need to get out of here. Because then it was like, there's only so long you can put off that feeling. And um, so he's like, oh, and we'll go with you, and about four of them, they're really good friends with Chris, poured out, they're in plain clothes, and then I just started running, like sprinting. until I realized like I heard their footsteps a while back and I was like, this is retarded. Like, they're my good friends and they're trying to keep up because I've got adrenaline Mm -hmm. and shock in me and they don't, right? Um, So we just walked until uh, Leanne found out and then um, she left right away with her family and then Chris's parents arrived and... um, Well, I called them too, but they already knew. I guess they knew before I did. Their officers in their hometown already told them. And so, um, you know, that was the beginning of a long, long stretch.
1: How much after that was a memorial at the Cowboys Stadium?
2: Gosh, I want to say that was within like seven days. Oh, wow! That. Um, well, was it? I think so? And and you know, um, Melanie Latrell, Marcus Luttrell's wife, mm-hmm. is she has a grace and a presence and a calm about her that I've never seen from anybody else. And as soon as she heard, she and Marcus got in the car and drove up. And so she had Ugg boots, leggings, and like a sweatshirt on, right? Mm-hmm. And she lived in those clothes for probably three or four days, without showering, without changing her clothes, never said a word. And she went into Cowboy Stadium to talk with the executives in their like beautiful outfits, you know, and she's still like just punching it out until finally one day she went to Target and like, you know, got stuff to change into. Some of his SEAL friends and other friends got together and man, they just made that procession happen and uh, the Cowboy Stadium happen. And we knew we needed a big place and we wanted something that represented him. It was helpful for me because in the end, the last time I saw his body, I didn't know if I could walk away. And um, I was like, well, we're here. Like, I'm just gonna be happy for him and I'm gonna know that his soul is here and like, just treat it like, babe, can you believe we pulled this off, you know? And just, that was the only thing I could do to, to walk out is like, to just think, okay, he's not there, he's here, and I'm gonna have to look at something that would be pleasing to, or bring a smile to my face about, his feelings right now, you know?
1: Your your grace is unbelievable. (laughs) No, thank you. I mean, and it's uh, very much felt every time you speak about uh, Chris. Every time. Mm -hmm. I was listening to your speech you gave, powerful, on how you started and, you know, uh, who Chad was in your life, you know, the role Chad played wherever he wanted to go. Chad would just go and they would hang out together. They were like best buddies. And uh, Chad's play very important roles. And a person like Chris's life, a very important role in a person like Chris's life, yeah. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you sharing that with me because I know uh, I was, uh, uh, I wouldn't want to have to explain myself over and over and over again, reliving reliving the entire story over and over again, but... uh,
2: Patrick, I never do that. This might be the first time on camera that I've gone through the whole thing. Yeah. You're very comfortable to talk with and... um, So, it was the right time and you're, you're good at what you do.
1: I am very curious with your story. Yeah, It's a lot of respect because the deeper I got, the, deep, the more interested I got with the whole thing. You know, the, the one question I have, would have with you that um, is something that I think about. You said something. You said, you know, it's not good to do the if I had to do it all over again, pa-pa-pa-pa-pa. I'm not doing the if I had to do it all mm-hmm. over again. The only thing I think about is I was in the military. I have guns. I have, yeah. you know, I have a lot of things. I'm, uh, I'm all about it. Um, but do you think somebody like the, the, the shooter, like do you think any of that with a personality like that could have been prevented? Meaning, you know, you know how you hear the, the debate right now with whether it's NRA pro gun pro this pro that with a little bit more background check on medicine that some people are taking or medication they're on. Do you think we need a little bit of that? Like, cuz my idea was I was having this conversation with a few different people who are pro gun and anti gun and yeah. I'm trying to get both sides of it. Yeah. And I'm not trying to take a 100% position I for me. I think people need to be agree, trained. Yeah. Do you think medicine is something we should test for? Like if you're on Zoloft or Prozac, you probably don't need to buy a gun. What do you think about it yourself, having gone through it personally yourself?
2: Yeah, so um, I I don't think that's fair because I think there are people with, uh, a lot of people I know and myself included where I've taken antidepressants and they've been really good because there's a legitimate chemical imbalance if you're in fight or flight too long and, and yet you're completely responsible and wouldn't hurt a soul, right? So I don't know that that's the answer but I do know what you're saying about how do we how do we find an indicator for this right and and I, I like you talk to people on both sides of it and I am curious I'm not staunch on one way or the other but I do think that there may be a part of that we have to accept evil is evil and there may be a part that we have to say somebody who would do horrific things they're not going to be easily identifiable as much as we want them to be because most people are not like that most people would not be able to pull the trigger on another human being for their own, you know, because they didn't feel good, right? Like that's we drive cars, and so you know everybody's had road rage probably at one point or another. Did you have a desire to kill that person? You know what I'm saying? Like you you could have driven your car into them. People don't do that. once in a while, they do. but you, the indicator for evil is what we're looking for. And I don't think it's in um, depression. i you know, I don't know about drug use, right? It might be a bit, but this guy had been had been picked up by the police, not picked up, like pulled over for something and he would say, I have PTSD. So they would take him to the mental institution. The mental, mental institution would release him with uh, something other than psychosis, meaning that's usually code for kind of like drugs, right? Like we're not fighting anything truly mentally, physically, but they can't tell the police mm-hmm. because of hip laws. So there's no communication between the police and the mental health agency. He also held his girlfriend with a samurai sword against her neck off of the wall, like a decorative sword against the wall like a week before he did this to Chris. But she didn't want to press charges, right? Because she said he was protecting her from the outside or whatever. And the police can't write any record of that, right? Because there's no charges. So in some ways we're doing really, really well. I'm a very private person in a lot of ways. And so I like privacy laws, but in some ways, you know, we're also doing ourselves a disservice because you know, if Chris would have known some of these things. The lesson we learned and what I tell people is you, you've got to be able to talk to a pe- couple of people they served with probably before you um, decide to like take them under your wing. I'm not talking about a cup of coffee. Go have a cup of coffee with anybody you want, right? But he had such positive experiences hunting and shooting with veterans and, and organizations who do that that I don't think it occurred to him that there would be, and especially when the guy's mom comes to you with tears in her eyes. like. How are you not gonna help a guy, that right? Stuff. And his mom is, she's, she's culpable in this. Like she didn't give Chris all the information and she should have. Um, so, and, and some people have suggested there's a case against her. I don't have any desire to do that, right? It doesn't change anything and it's not. But the point is, A, we have to call it what it is, right? We have to not be afraid of it. We have to look at people who say they have PTSD and use our own judgment, right? I'm not saying you judge if they do or they don't, but PTSD, this, this is important to me that people know this. A, it doesn't make you a killer, right? It does not. Mm-hmm. And B, it is something that you can live through, work through, and change. And people seem to think that these veterans that have PTSD, it's the rest of their life, get a paycheck and, fr- no. There are, there are rape victims with PTSD, there are child abuse victims with PTSD. I mean, I, I've got friends who are counselors, kids that are sexually abused and threatened, they're, they're going, their life is gonna be ended. So their life is at risk every single day in this home, and they're raped and abused, and guess what? Nobody nobody says you're off for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. They go to college, they get a degree, they work, right? They go to counselor, they get their crap fixed. I mean, it's a, that's a huge mountain to have on you, especially for a kid. It's It's doable, but you have to invest in it. So we have to get people to a state where they're seeing PTSD as, yes, I have a lot of stress from trauma and it is changing my reaction to things and my sleep patterns, but I need to find my own, I need to find help or find somebody who will walk that walk with me to get the help I need.
1: Yeah, you know, the reason why I ask it from somebody like you is because you you have more insight because after something like that happens to you, you're probably going to go into research mode, wanting to study. You're probably approached by a lot of different people. They're bringing mm-hmm. up questions, topics, all this other stuff. So I was just curious to know what you thought about it because, you know, sometimes uh, uh, how do you how do you measure a guy like that? Like how do you sit there and say, no, yes. Is there a measuring mechanism? Is it medication? Is it arrest report? Is it What is it to be able to filter out and say, I just don't think this is a person that needs to be allowed into such and such a location or a gun range or a gun shop or whatever it is?
2: I think you have to use your intuition, right? So here's the thing. Chris obviously had some intuition on this and so did Chad. They knew something was They wouldn't have
1: texted each other. Right, right. And And
2: I know his voice on the phone. was He was not happy with this guy. But it didn't really occur to him, right, that he would do that. And so what I think we have to be aware of is that we don't know, like, not all veterans are heroes. We have to be honest about that. There are guys who are bad guys, just like there are dentists who do, who rape their patients when they're under, you know, um, gases and stuff. It's, we have to be honest with ourselves. Evil exists, and we have to trust our gut more. And um, Chris is, his philosophy was that, uh, intuition aside, he gave his word, right? Could you say that he one more did, time, intuition? In, intuition aside, he gave his word. He, gave and he, his was word, do yeah. he didn't want to go that day. And you know, there there are probably I think a lot of Holy Spirit and divine promptings that we ignore, and I think we need to key into those and go. If I don't want to go, why do I not want to go? Do I have a bad feeling, or you know, and be honest about that. And then if you pick the guy up and he's he's not acting right, you know, you, yes, you want to help everybody, but maybe this is a time where you're going to take a time out, right? This doesn't feel right. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up on him a little bit more. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know how he would have followed up because there didn't seem to be a police report anywhere. But um, I do recommend that people do that.
1: I, I, I don't at all put it on anything with Chris, on what Chris could have done, because there, there's yeah. what are you gonna do with something but like that?
2: But let's be fair, if, you, if something's off with somebody, don't do it, like to educate I people listening. I see what listening.
1: you're saying, yeah. And, and obviously the, the full disclosure from other side, not everything came out. Uh, have you ever confronted her? Have you ever had a conversation with her, or never?
2: You know, it's interesting, she, she confronted us, I uh, wanted to talk to us in the courtroom when her son pleaded not guilty, and said, it's just as hard for me as it is for you. And we were like, what? your son is sitting right, you know, you just saw and talked to your son. All that aside, um, I don't have anything that I need from them and I don't have anything to give them. Just curious, curious to know if that- In the very beginning, the very beginning, I said, oh, I feel so bad for that mother, right? I didn't know, I said, please tell the people who knew her, please tell her, I I don't hold her responsible. That's changed when I got more information. And I think that nobody's responsible but the person that pulls the trigger. He's ultimately responsible, he's paying the price. And I really still, my faith, you know, I believe that I believe that he can go to heaven just like everybody else if, if he believes and if his heart is with God. I mean, but it's not mine. I don't need to minister to mm-hmm. him. I don't need to save him. I don't need to talk to him. Got it. You know.
1: You, I mean, you, you've forgiven. Obviously, I don't, I don't sense a, a single ounce of bitterness in you.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if I totally. I don't know. I, the forgiveness word is hard for that. I just choose not to carry it for him. Got it. Yeah.
1: Got it. Uh, so so the part you said part of it is intuition but do you think there's any role that the government plays in it to deal with the shooter like is there anything that law wise can change for it to control like additional testing or background yeah. or not really
2: I, I, I wish there was I personally don't think there is because I don't think I don't think that we can um, find evil in the heart I don't think you can find it I think it changes in time I think different things provoke people as far as what the government could do. I mean, the guy got in some trouble in school, right? So we could say, well, if they've gotten in trouble, but here's the other side of this. One of my good friends is a ridiculously successful businessman and he was in so much trouble. He dropped out of school and then he got in trouble with the law and the judge said, you get the choice, right? Military or jail mm-hmm. and he chose mm-hmm. military and look at him now, right? So that's what I'm saying. I just, I think if you make a law.
1: Got it. <sighs> so you, you are from the standpoint of you don't think there's anything we can do that could prevent a shooter like this, especially from the law side, government side, state side, to prevent this from happening?
2: Okay, I do have one thing that I have one idea on, but I'm not sure. So, rooting out even on a person's heart, I don't think we can do, right? Using our intuition is important. People have feelings a lot of times when somebody's off, and we have to respect that and listen to it, and we can't listen to everybody that says it, right? There's no blanket statement we can do. The school shootings and the things that are happening like that when somebody gets a lot of attention and then we start talking about what was their background like what was their deal what right they're getting a lot of attention for it they don't want to kill themselves they don't want to even hurt themselves they just want to take it out on everybody else and have everybody else look at their pain so why are we giving them a voice the thing is if you shoot up a school you're erased you go to jail we do your trial you don't exist No media what brought you here no marketing
1: no media attention no
2: because you know what they didn't want to hurt themselves they wanted to hurt everybody else so that we would look at their pain and I don't think that that's. Um, I think that exacerbates the problem. Now you got copycats. There was a day where it wouldn't even cross someone's mind to do that.
1: It's tough, tough today because uh, freedom of press. You know they need stories to tell. Right. And any of that stuff. The moment it happens, every channel is showing it for right. six hours all day, and they're getting all this attention. It's another form for somebody else to get that kind of attention how many times you've seen people do this just to get the attention right. a lot of times
2: and it's not gonna right like that solution probably yeah. isn't gonna work because yeah Because you have to accept the reality of the world we live in and that's kind of what you're saying like when I say this you go "Well, this is the reality and I find that everybody who wants it to stop we're all on the same page we all want it to stop
1: you're from Texas you grew up in Texas no or, I grew up in Oregon oh or you grew up in Oregon that's how you said Oregon and San Diego did you say California something California Oregon then I went Southern to Wisconsin California. But your mother is from Southern California, oh, yeah. your father right. is from Oregon. Yeah. Okay, so you've never lived in Southern California.
2: I did, when I met Chris, yeah. Oh, okay. That's
1: I lived right. in that's Long right. Beach and
2: then we lived in San Diego.
1: Long Beach, yeah. wow, out of all the places. I know. Very familiar with Long LBC, Beach. LBC, baby. Yes, mm-hmm. LBC.
2: Snoop and I, you know. Really? No. I
1: can, I, I, <laughs> well, the way I had to remember, Taya has uh-huh. to do a little bit with Snoop, but that's an inside joke between yep. us. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he truly is one, just so you know. Yeah, he, he's a
2: player. Right? He's a player, yeah.
1: yeah. So you know, uh, uh, transitioning, uh, this one question was brought up from the audience that wanted uh, uh, to know a little bit on the closing of this. What ended up happening with Jesse Ventura? What what was the ending with that? Because there was so much he came out, because in the book he doesn't really say, calls him scruffy face or something like that.
2: Right. It was on you know, a show called Opie and Anthony, and another seal called in and was like, ask him, it was this guy. And then when they asked him, Chris wasn't prepared for that. And like I said, he's an honest guy, right? So he says, yeah,
0: there's someone on the line saying that you had you were in a bar fight with Jesse Ventura. Is that true? Oh my God, probably, is it? Yes, oh, oh shit. Let's get into this. He was upset with the war. He doesn't agree with it. I approached him and he said hey You know, that's not the place. I appreciate it But we are having a wake. and then he said that you know, we deserve to lose a few guys. And what happened when he said that to you? Did you you have his ponytail. No. You slugged him good. <laughs> I punched him. I punched him.
2: <laughs> Ironically, Chris was the one saying, "We're not going to name his name," and I was like, "Name his name! Everybody knows it happened." I mean, this was forever ago, before Chris's the idea of Chris even being in a book, right? And um, it was everybody was there. Um, I mean, we had eleven witnesses testify. It just it was just one of those perfect storm things, and uh, we ended up we won the appeals, and so. You know there was no money paid out
1: for never because it says December night. 17 there was an undisclosed payment right. something like but nothing was paid out everything right. finalized yeah it got a lot of attention it was so interesting see well it
2: was and you know what it really taught me you know we talk about grace there's so much that I wanted to say before the murder trial right and stop saying this guy has PTSD and and that that case oh my gosh if I could there was so much I wanted to say right and um, and in retrospect, I still could, but I think it's one of those things again. Why you look back and you go in wrestling, the bad guy gets attention too. I don't know that. It, I don't know that it's so much about mm. good guy, bad guy as it is attention. Fair
1: enough. Yeah, you know, I was just curious. You know, the the. Uh, the stories were like, "This is what happened." Here's what he said. This, here's what he said. This, and then I think some of the seals got involved, and it finally was like, "Let's just 1.85, 1.8 million, 1.35," and yeah. then nothing happens. Eighth Circuit comes out, yeah. and he was on Rogan. He was on a bunch of different places talking oh, about over, it. Yeah. So let's let's wrap up with this book. So one American Sniper, obviously best-selling book. It sold millions of copies. The movie became a best hit. Uh, it, it's it's changed uh, uh, many people's lives in many ways. Source of inspiration. All these other things. Then you wrote the book, American Wife. Did amazing, unbelievable results. People loved it. You impacted so many people's lives with that. And now you have your uh, newest book coming out, American Spirit. Can you talk a little bit about the book and what inspired you want to write this book?
2: Yeah, so when I was out on the road and I'd be talking to people and I was in deep grief and I mean, it's funny, I don't even remember a lot of the places I went for speaking engagements, right? I was just doing and and going through, through that part of my life and grief and these people would tell me incredible stories and things that were happening that were such good news. And I thought why are why are we not talking about this mm. because for me that was healing to know that there are a lot of good things happening in this world there are a lot of people who are not what you see in the media they're not the left extreme or the right extreme they're just they're just these people who are doing good things and not not um spewing their political thoughts they're just doing good things in the world they're taking care of their neighbor and so i talked to jim about it jim de who wrote american sniper american wife and and he was like no i think that really is good so what we did is we took a collection of the stories and we did something that we tried to pull from different age groups, from young to older, different areas of life, things that you would never think of that are bringing good, because people need, I think, to look at pain as, yes, horrible, grieve it, feel it, but what can you do to shine light in that darkness, mm-hmm. right? What can you do to have purpose in pain? because? I personally don't believe it's anything God wants for it. I don't think it's God-designed. But I do think that He will bring us through it. And I do think that whether people have faith or not, and it's, it's not all people have faith in there, but they're, they're doing something good with it. And sometimes it was because it happened to them, and sometimes it was because it was somebody they saw. And, and a lot of them fascinate me because they started with a spark, right? They didn't, they didn't set out to do something big. They set out to do something. And, and their spark lit a movement. And to me, that's that's powerful stuff. I, I tend to think, why do something unless it can be big? And it it reminds me that some of the most powerful things in life are the smaller things, right? Like raising your kids, you'll probably affect millions of people through the way that you raise them mm-hmm. because of the lives they touch and so forth. Um, and And the goodness that we can all do is pretty incredible. To me, it's American spirit because it's It's our freedom. We have freedom to do these things and to share ideas and to correct wrongs in the world. And we're most charitable nation in the world. So let's celebrate that part of the American spirit instead of, you know, people hating the country and whatever. Let's look at the spirit of who we are. Because there's the the pioneers in the beginning, right? They went through great things. Your family went through great suffering to get where you got to. You, they did it, I think, if you ask your parents, for the next generation, right? No doubt about it. Right. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about here. That spirit is still alive here. We have opportunity. You talk about entrepreneurs all the time. Mm-hmm. That is what this is. You you are an entrepreneur and you have that spirit because there's something in the world you know you can do, right? And you know you can bring something brings them into the world and that's that's the American spirit we have the opportunity to do it we we do it for the next generation and we do it in a variety of different ways and it's in the kids too like when everybody goes "Oh, we're screwed the next generations are gonna mess it all up I mean people have been saying that forever for, right yeah, forever but they're really good young kids doing awesome things. you mind
1: sharing one of them just share one of the stories
2: yeah okay so one of them uh, since we were talking about you know PTSD and um, suffering like that there was a guy named Micah Fink and he had his own suffering and he had his own journey and he found his way through it and he's got this really cool program, Heroes and Horses, where they train wild mustangs, right, up in the mountains. And he tells people, this ain't a vacation, right? But if you have a problem and you wanna come, come out. Like get real with nature and beast and man and you have to be in touch with the the beast's emotions as much as you do your emotions and you have to get real, right, there's no faking it and it's hard work. Yeah, there's everything from um, that, there's like homeless organizations who don't just give help to the homeless, they change their life. They're in there for two years and they have an amazing attrition rate. So it's like, for like 90% of the people to go out into Mm -hmm. the world and never be homeless again is unheard of. But they're doing it and they're doing it because they cared enough to do things differently.
1: You know, I had a friend of mine many years ago who would say, you know, we, we don't need CNN, we need GNN. I said, what do you mean by GNN? He said, we need Good News Network. Yeah, he said, we need people. some good news. We don't have a lot of good news. We have a lot of bad news. It's all about what happened, who got killed, right. who did this, who did that. We need some good news. So, And uh,
2: people feed off of that. Oh, no That's doubt That's why we're about so hateful it. to each other, because we're feeding I off of it. I
1: agree with you. I think there's a spirit of division. I, don't, I think we actually have more in common than the For media sure makes do. it out to be. I, I sit down and talk to somebody that we may have opposing views, but there's 90% of stuff we agree yes. with. Yes. There's just a 10% yeah. where we may.
2: How you accomplish it might yeah. be different, but the the goal is usually the same.
1: You know, the only challenge I have with you this entire time we sat together is you're a Mavs fan, I'm a Lakers fan. I think that's Dang the it. that's the only thing aside from that. What an incredible story, honestly. Yeah. I mean. A part of what you're saying is uh, God puts tough things in your life and I think He also chooses the right people. Yeah, I don't know if anybody else could have been Chris's wife but no. you. I Thank think you. that was chosen. I think there was a big plan behind that. And we are, um, through your life experience, learning so much about ourselves. And certain challenges that we may be dealing with as human beings that's private to us yeah. that we can sit there and say I can pick up from those seven things that he had to go through and she yeah. had to go through and oh my gosh I'm gonna figure out how to get better in these three areas of my life so I have so much respect for you sharing mm-hmm. your testimony Thank truly
2: you.
1: and so how can people get a hold of you? are you more active on Instagram or Twitter uh, Instagram Instagram okay <laughs> so I suggest you reach out to follow follower on Instagram with that being said Awesome. Thank you so much for being thank a guest you. here Valuetainment. Truly, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick MidDavid. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.